0: Welcome to Bullet Point, Second Amendment Talk and more right here on Vinyl Draft Radio. We have a great show for you today. Um, you know, you guys that listened in the past, um, you know that frequently we have guests on here and, uh, and a lot of the guys that we have on here are people from the, from the gun industry. There are uh, you know, there's competitive shooters, there's world record holders, there's manufacturers representatives, there's all kinds of folks, but seldom do we get the opportunity to have just regular, everyday folks, folks from the community, folks from in and around uh, where we live here in the Webster-Clear Lake area, and today we are lucky enough uh, to have a couple of, of local folks in here, and um, you know, the before I introduce these guys, I want to say that um, uh, you know, a lot of times we get involved in discussions um, with our neighbors and, and our friends and our family members about um, about gun control, about gun safety, about legislation, about policy, about um, uh, a lot of these things, and 99% of the time they take place on social media. And, you know, social media is in everybody's pockets these days, but if we're being realistic, that is a, that is a horrible place, in my opinion, to have a legitimate discussion because, you um, it is, it is difficult to trade ideas back and forth. It just is because it's either it's done in a, in a meme or a couple of sentences or a paragraph or a link. And, and the discussion, I think, really, really fails to take hold. So um, today in the studio is Deborah. Deborah, thanks for being here. And also Eugene. Eugene, thanks for coming out. Now, uh, these, these folks um, were good enough to come over here. Uh, and they felt passionate enough about what they wanted to say and what they wanted to share that they took time out of their day to come down here and join us. So, uh, so again, guys, uh, thanks for joining us here. Now we're gonna get um, we're gonna get to uh, uh, our discussion about. Um, about some uh, some policies and legislation and, and some gun safety, all kinds of stuff. You guys are going to want to definitely stay with us for that. And to do so, I know a lot of you are watching on uh, Facebook right now, but uh, after this segment, we're going to move to uh, VinylDraftRadio.com. You can stream us live there. Or, as always, download the TuneIn app for iOS or Android and mark Vinyl Draft Radio as your favorite. You can, uh, you can tap that app and listen to us. Uh, we'll be with you wherever you go. So you're really going to want to hear – um, what we have to say here today. These guys have got a lot to share with us, and uh, and I'm looking forward to getting involved in the conversation with them. And uh, you're going to want to stick with us. But the, let's do the firing line uh, real quick, and we're going to get to uh, to Deborah and Eugene after the break. But um, so uh, there's a company, and uh, it's called Mean Arms. You can find them at meanarms.com. Now you may not be familiar with the name of the company. But um, this company kind of came to fame uh, recently, you know out in California, uh, where the AR15 is the devil. They, um, they, these guys, you can't have a detachable magazine if you own an AR15 in California. thats that's one of the regulations because somehow that makes it all better. Um, but you can't have a detachable magazine. So what Mean Arms did was uh, they came up with a, a loading device that allowed you to, um, to load multiple rounds in an AR-15 because the, the California compliant AR-15s, uh, you have to put the bullets in from the top, one bullet at a time. Click, click, click. Nobody wants to do that. It's a pain in the ass. It's not the way the gun was designed originally. And for better or for worse, that's what it is. But California uh, California likes that sort of thing. So it is the law. Probably not going to change anytime soon. So. Uh, so God bless you, gun lovers in California. Yeah, you have my sympathies. But anyway, so Meat Arms came out with this thing, and it's really cool. But uh, the other thing that they came out with recently that, um, that really, really caught my attention and I think is one of the—and uh, I say this with, uh, with all honesty—is one of the, the coolest things that I've seen in quite some time, and I don't know why um, it took the industry so long to, uh, to come out with something like this, but uh, it's called the Endomag. So we're all familiar. If you own an AR-15, we're all familiar with um, the PCCs, the pistol caliber carbines. So that is an AR-15 that shoots like a nine millimeter or forty Smith and Wesson, ten millimeter, forty-five ACP. And uh, these are becoming increasingly popular these days because, uh, for several reasons. One, um, you know, two-two-three, five-five-six ammo is a little bit more on the expensive side compared to most pistol ammunition. And two, um, a lot of indoor ranges are not equipped uh, to handle the velocity of the AR-15. They don't want rounds bouncing around and, and hurting folks, but um, most pistol rounds are subsonic, so the um, majority of gun ranges out there um, are equipped to, to handle those quite well. Uh, so in that, um, there's a lot of AR-15 owners that want to enjoy um, you know, target shooting with their weapons uh, more often, and to do it uh, a little bit cheaper. So um, the pistol caliber carbine, specifically the 9mm, the AR9, as it's known, has become very, very popular as of late. So what Mean Arms did was with the Endomag, um, they allow you to take your, your standard p mag your Magpul mag your polymer mag, Gen 2 or Gen 3, you can take the guts out of it. You take the, uh, the floor plate out of it, the spring, and the follower, And you insert the endomag in there, and it converts it to 9mm. So why is that a big deal? Well, if you think about it, uh, if you wanted to do a 9mm carbine right now or a 9mm AR pistol, you would have to buy the entire AR gun. You'd have to buy the whole gun. You couldn't just buy the lower. You'd have to have the upper, too. And if you bought just the upper, it's not compatible with your standard AR-15 mag. or I'm sorry, your standard AR-15 lower. But if you take your standard PMAG and convert it to nine millimeter, you can then use the stock lower that you have for your 556 five, already and turn it into a nine millimeter pistol caliber carbine. And I'm covering a lot, so hope I'm not confusing anybody out there. But um, you know, the benefit is that um, you know, again, if you have a five five six and you think, well, I'd like to convert this to nine millimeter, well, you really you can convert it. There are uh, there are conversion kits out there that involve, um, you know, you have to get this magazine block and there's all sorts of kind of clumsy stuff that goes with it. And if we're being honest, most of them do not work very well. They're not very reliable. Um, they're just, um, they're just cumbersome uh, and 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 folks don't like to use it. And it's difficult to uh, to undo that process. You know, it's tedious if you convert it, put the block in there and Then you got to go buy a Glock magazine or a Colt magazine or, you know, whatever the conversion kit uses. So you sort of have all this labor and have all this expense. And then if you want to go back to 5.56, you have to undo all that. So big pain in the ass. Well, with this thing, you don't have to do anything to the lower. So if you've already got a built uh, 5.56 lower and, you know, most of us upgrade the trigger and we put the grip on it that we like, we put the stock on it that we like. So uh, we have it just like we want. So if you can imagine, if you think, hey, man, I'm going to do a 9 millimeter, and I'm going to do it just like this, well, that's going to mean going out and buying a complete AR-9 rifle that's upper and lower, because you can't just buy the lower. you got to have the upper. You can't just buy the upper. you got to have the lower. So that means buying an entirely new rifle. Uh, so that's another 4473. That's another serial number. That's another <laughs> purchase. Um, versus the Indomag, you can get just the 9 millimeter upper, use your existing 5.56 5. lower, Put the EndoMag in the PMAG, and there you go. Bang, nine millimeter, just like that. Nine millimeters is a lot cheaper to shoot. Um, uh, you know, recoil on the 5.56 is, is little or nothing. Nine millimeters is little or nothing. So um, uh, it, it's very, very useful uh, financially. So the cost on the EndoMag itself um, is about $25. bucks, 24 dollars 95 I think, is what the MSRP on it is. So one could make the argument that, hey, well, if I, guide, if I buy the Endomag, then i got to go buy a P-Mag. Uh, that would be true. So that would put your cost at an mag and a P-Mag at about $35 or $40, um, which is about the cost of a Glock 32-round magazine. It's about $40 or $45. Bucks, so you're right there with it. And let's be honest, if you've got an AR-15, I mean, who doesn't own a P-Mag at this point? They're cheap. They're, you know, $11, $12, $13. Um, hell, I've probably got a couple of them in the console of my truck as we speak. I mean, they're They're everywhere. Uh, they're cheap and they're easy to find. So you could actually afford to uh, to permanently um, change out an Indomag in, in one of your P-Mags or put the mag in one of your P-Mags and leave it as a permanent 9 millimeter conversion. Slap the upper on there, a couple of pins, and you're ready to rock and roll. It's that easy. Um, what it does, what's really going to save you money, is you don't have to go out and have the expense of buying uh, an entire lower. I mean, of course, you have to buy the upper. That's obvious. But you don't have to buy the lower. Lower is even on the cheap from someplace like uh, Palmetto State Armory. You know, they run on sale. You can catch them for $145, $150, $160, somewhere like that. Uh, Then, you know, if you get one online, you've got the expensive shipping. You've got a little bit of wait time. uh, You're likely going to have a transfer fee. Uh, Yeah, you can get one locally. Uh, but you know, again, they're going to range by the time you pay tax and whatnot, and and the extra costs uh, based around picking up a new lower. I mean, you're bumping on two hundred dollars versus spending twenty five bucks on the endo mag and a couple of bucks on a p mag if you don't already have one. I mean, you're forty dollars out the door, and to do the nine millimeter again, you got to have the upper no matter what. So I think this is a great, great idea. I've actually got one on order. Should be here hopefully the end of this week, so uh, when it gets here, uh, I'm going to put it to work on, uh, on my 9mm uh, upper, and we're going to see what it does. Um, they make a lot of claims. They claim that, uh, you know, one of the big, big claims to fame, and we'll see how this works for the Endomag, is that uh, it accepts some of the more cumbersome um, or less reliable 9 millimeter ammo, uh, you know, frangible ammo, um, stuff that on occasion, doesn't feed well in the 9 millimeter pistol caliber carbine. And uh, some of us have, have experienced that. So um, uh, the other cool thing about it is when they ship it to you, uh, it ships out in a 10-round capacity, but you can modify that. They give you instructions to modify it to 15, 20, or 30 rounds. So as it ships in a 10-round 10, uh, 10 capacity, the reason that they do that is so it can go to any state in the Union so that's great um again except for you california you have my deepest sympathies but soldier on um so yeah check it out it is um it is mean arms that's m-e-a-n meanarms.com and that is the endomag um they have a video on there and it takes about um man literally about 30 seconds to swap the guts out just in and out just boom boom so Again, for twenty-five dollars, man, it is a it is a smoking deal. So if you're looking for a nine-millimeter AR pistol caliber carbine conversion, um, I highly, highly, highly recommend um, Mean Arms. Check them out. We got to take a break here in just a minute, but uh, we've got Eugene and Deborah on the other side of the break. Follow us. Um, uh, bullet points. We're going to be on uh, VinylDraftRadio.com. So check it out. We're going to talk guns, gun safety on policy and uh we're going to have a really candid round table open discussion coming up after the break so stay with us bullet points on vinyl draft radio Welcome back to Bullet Point Second Amendment Talk and more coming to you from vinyl draft radio. We got some folks in the studio with us today. It's kind of explaining it um uh before the break. Uh I've got um I've got Deborah with us. Now Deborah is um she's from the Pearland area, and Deborah is a grandmother. And Deborah decided to uh to come to the studio today because she has some some concerns, as we all do, about school safety and about gun policy and about other things going on, um, you know, just as a, as a social measure. So she was good enough to come down here and join us. Also, Eugene, thanks for being with us. Eugene, um, has one daughter. He's from Pearland as well. Um, he has one daughter that's actually in, uh, in Alvin ISD. Eugene, is that right? That's correct. Okay. So Alvin ISD and, uh, two, two grandchildren in Deborah, for you. Yes. Okay. So, um, you know, we get a lot of, you see a lot of talk on social media. I'll go back to that for a second. Yeah, You see a lot of discussion on social media about guns, gun policy. We ought to do this. We ought to do this. We ought to do that. But it's never really beyond the, just the statement. You know, you can't really get down to it. Well, when you start really digging into it and getting into it and finding out, okay, what does that actually mean? When you say, I want to do this. Okay. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? How's it going to work? Because you know, a lot of times these, these things sound like great ideas. And I've talked about this on this show. I've talked about it on Adam's show. I mean, you know, I've echoed it quite a bit. And, and I do that because um, I think that, you know, these things, people get very passionate about this. They get very emotional about this because when your children's safety is at risk, I mean, you, you, you put your children, you take your children to school we drop them off and, Um, We expect that they're going to be taken care of. We expect that they're going to be safe, that they're not going to come to harm. We don't want that. You know, we watch after our children, you know, as responsible parents, as responsible grandparents, as brothers, as sisters, family members, you know, we watch out for our family. We watch out for our neighbors. That's what we want. Um, And then when something happens, you know, a a school uh, is breached by someone uh, with the intent of doing harm for whatever reason. And that's a That's a bad, that's a horrible thing. That's a horrible thing for, and it's difficult for people to compartmentalize. So I appreciate you guys coming over And today. You know what we want to do today, just to let you guys know, listening is this is going to be a very informal discussion. Um, And I talked to, I talked to, to both of these folks before they, they came in and sat down with us, but um, uh, we didn't, um, we didn't put every, any, any specific subject matter on the table. I think uh, you know. I want them to to share their opinions as they as they see fit. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some some possible solutions, some possible things going on, um, and I want to kick it off uh, back to the social media thing. You know, somebody uh, approached me on social media. I'm not gonna say his name, although he was very forthcoming about his situation. But the question posed was: Should someone that has a felony on their record, that is a nonviolent felony offense. Should that individual's gun rights be restored after a certain period of time? And I'd never really thought about it. And I got to thinking, well, I don't know, should it? Um, this particular individual, um, I think I want to say he's in his 40s now. Um, his felony was when he was, um, he was in his early 20s, and it was, uh, it was possession of marijuana. And I don't know all the details. And, again, uh, he was very candid about his situation. He was not not shy about it at all. He said, yes, I was young. Yes, I made a mistake. And, you know, here we are. You know, I'm married now. I'm working. I haven't been in any trouble. And it was just a weed thing. So um, <laughs> one thing that did occur to me was that, uh, you know, I bet you, I bet you, if we ask folks on the on the left, the anti-gun folks, hey, do you think somebody with a felony way back in the day, you think that person should be excused from a a background check, maybe not prohibited? They would say not no, but hell no. But yet these are the same folks that are going to say, we shouldn't punish people for marijuana. Let's legalize marijuana. But this guy has a marijuana felony, and you won't let him have a gun. So, you know, which way is it? So, Deborah, I'll start with you. Um, In this guy's particular case, again, and I don't know the details, but let's just simplify it for the sake of a discussion. If somebody gets caught with a felonious amount of marijuana, whatever that amount is, I don't know if it was a pound, I don't know if it was a truckload, I don't know if the dude was growing 100 acres worth, you know, I don't know if he was Pablo Escobar in the backyard, I don't know what the hell is going on with him. But, so bottom line is, it was a nonviolent felony. So he didn't rob anybody, he didn't kill anybody, he didn't steal from anybody, um, he didn't kidnap anyone, he didn't have a gun, nothing, just a possession charge. So he is. 25-ish years removed from that incident. I think he said he got a little bit of jail time. It was a small amount, and presumably he had some probation or parole in there. But he did all that. You know, the court said, okay, this is what happened. This is what's going to happen to you. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to serve. This is your sentence. This is how it comes out. And he's done all that. But now he can't go and legally purchase a weapon. So what, what do you think, Deborah? I mean, should he be able to at this point?
1: Oh, absolutely he should be able to get a uh, – besides look at the fact that weed is beginning to be legal in a lot of the states now, and that's that's not a harmful felony, so absolutely
0: he should be able to get a gun. So no harm, no foul. Eugene, where are you at on this?
2: Uh, I think I'm a little more uh, hardline. Um, I would say when, if the states are going to decide and if he's residing in a state – where marijuana is legalized, then the state has to go through the process, uh, whatever that's going to be. And however difficult that's going to be to review people's backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, his uh, felony may not mean anything anymore because of how long ago it was in the past. And because marijuana is now legal, right? Since he lives in Texas where marijuana is not legal yet. And, um, I, I personally believe that marijuana should be legal, uh, as an aside. But um, I think it, it's just too difficult uh, if, you, if the government would, would have to treat uh, people like this who uh, have had this history. And uh, I, I don't think, of course, he should, should not be exempt to a, a background check. But mm-hmm. if, if this is the only uh, thing on his record and it was a long ago, and it was marijuana, and it's something that people in general would deem pretty innocent. Um, I, I think he just needs to wait until Texas legalizes marijuana. I mean, I, I think you just have to treat these case by case because not every person uh, 25 years later might be the same as this guy.
0: Uh, well, that's, I, that's true. You're right. And I, I think if, if I'm right, the point you're trying to make is, is sometimes people... Uh, are career criminals um and they you know they don't they're not gonna they 're not going to walk the path that that this particular individual did but um you know the the background checks um uh for those of you listening background checks are are based on a federal standard so not on a state standard um and eugene that's that's a valid point that you know in a state like colorado um or, you know California to a lesser extent, some of these states that are that are either you know, straight up legalizing marijuana or, or softening a stance on marijuana um, he would not have in he would not have necessarily incurred a felony at that time if if, if he were if he were a, the same 20 year old guy now doing the same thing in some of these states, he may or may not have incurred a felony so it wouldn't really be part of a discussion because he wouldn't be prohibited because the felony, would have never happened in that situation but let's say for the sake of argument that um uh that we do say yeah you know what felonious possession of marijuana you know it's not heroin it's not ecstasy it's not crack it's not cocaine it's not crystal meth it's not opiates you know it's it's weed and if we say okay well not that big a deal all right this dude doesn't deserve to be punished uh, for the rest of his life, because of that, um, do you think that, do either one of you think that that would necessarily open a door for other people to say, well, you know what? Uh, I didn't have weed, but I just wrote a hot check. Um, I didn't have weed, but I used someone else's credit card to buy some stuff. Um, I didn't have weed, but I, I, I stole a little bit from my employer. I didn't hurt anybody, didn't kill anybody, didn't rob anybody. I just I I stole a car. I was in a car with my friends. We were joyriding. He stole the car. I didn't. I just happened to be with him, and I got popped for, you know, uh, unlawful use of a motor vehicle. Yeah, it's a felony. So I got in trouble for that. Yeah, I wasn't actually stalking my girlfriend. I was just trying to call her. She didn't want to talk to me, but uh, but I got in trouble for that. Um, you know, I wasn't really looking through somebody's window, but they thought I was, and and here I am. So at what point, you know, do you just say, okay, well. You know, all you other guys, you, you can't get a gun. But weed guy, you get a free pass. So, I mean, do you think that – I mean, it, it would obviously open up a discussion for other people to say, well, you know, if you do it for him, you got to do it for me too because all I did was this. So how difficult would it be to, to parse that out? Now, I understand, and I think that's exactly why um, the law is what it is because the law um, – most laws or the intent of laws as they're written are not to be not to have uh, ambiguity. They're, they're, they're written to be definitive. They're written to be black and white to say, if this, then that can do this, but you can't do that. If you do this, this is going to happen. And, and, so they just draw the line at felony. So any felonious behavior, any felonious conviction, that's it. It doesn't matter if it was weed or if it was mass murder, a felony is a felony. They just sort of group everybody all into one. And I don't disagree that I think that that it's unfair, um, you know, from just a a personal perspective, I think it's unfair. But so if we were to do that, if we were all lawmakers, if, if we were we were the ones doing it. Um, if we all had our pens and our papers and our magic wands and we're doing it right now, you know, how would you go about that? I mean, Eugene, you said, um, you said sort of a, a case-by-case basis, you think, uh, you know, just state to state?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's the only way it's going to happen. Uh, so um, let's say um, marijuana is legalized in Texas. And if we're just addressing uh, this gentleman's case uh, and similar cases where he has a felony due to possession, um, then I think he has the right to have the state government, uh, cr- you know, uh, evaluate his case, uh, and he should go to some review board and and look at it. And the next person who was uh, stealing from their their workplace uh, or had a felony conviction for for something else, but it was nonviolent or or something that you might consider, quote-unquote, non-serious, mm-hmm. and maybe it happened long, long ago enough in the past, that person should also, you know, if they want to enjoy some particular liberty that the law prohibits them from, they should go to a review board. And um, I, that's why I say it, it, it should be handled or it can only be handled case by case. Because as you've explained well, uh, the law is a blanket law. Uh, it doesn't uh, discriminate or disseminate uh, exceptions um, so unfortunately that's the the reality and uh, you know, it's, um, I sympathize with the guy sure um, but you know uh mm. I- until until the states or the federal government will allow people to make claims right. and to prove that uh, they are not the same person.
0: So, uh, so I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is, so in the same vein that we may have a parole board, if a prisoner is up for parole, um, that individual goes before a parole board and makes their case, Hey, I've been a good guy. I've been a model prisoner. Uh, this is what I did. The victims a lot of times get to make statements. They have, you know, representatives from here or there sort of all appealing their, their case. I mean. yeah i i can't say that uh that I disagree with that as a generalization i think you're right i think that uh you know for some of these folks there is uh there should be an opportunity you know based on their uh based on their status in the community based on their their history um, maybe they need uh you know a little bit more uh you know they, they need a, a bigger critique on what they do but um you know that uh there'd be a lot of a lot of state bureaucracy. I think, uh, yeah. um, uh, you know, these things, when you ask the government to help you out, um, uh, by setting up somebody to, to look over what's going on, that in general never works out that balloons into this big, this big monstrous thing that, uh, you know, that, that gets all crazy. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 agree with both of you. I, I think, uh, Deborah, you, you know, you, you said it the easiest. Yeah, absolutely. He should. And I agree 100%. And Eugene, I think that, um, uh, you know, the a review board would would be mandatory because, again, it, it is a black and white thing. It is not something that that we can that we can arbitrarily uh, do. There's no ambiguity in it. Uh, it either it, you either are a felon or you or not uh, a felon. Um, but certainly, uh, a case by case basis, I think would be the only way, uh, to solve this. Uh, we've got to take a break in just a couple of seconds, but, uh, Deborah and Eugene in here, uh, we're talking community stuff. We, we really got into a good discussion there, man. I meant to, meant to pick up on a couple of other things, but we still got time left. So coming up on the other side of the break, I want to talk to you guys about, um, about school safety, about school shootings and what we ought to do. Cause I know you both have, uh, family in, in schools. So we need to, we need to bring that up because that's important. So, uh, you guys stay with us. Bullet point second amendment talking more right here on vinyl draft radio. Hey, welcome back to bullet points, second amendment talk and more here on vinyl draft radio. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft, Deborah and Eugene in the studio with us today. We're talking, uh, we're talking guns. We're talking gun policy. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna talk school safety. Um, that's what we're, we're coming up on now. We just wrapped up this deal and, and you guys, um, when you get around to social media, you know, bullet points on vinyl draft radio, uh, is our Facebook page. I would like to hear what you guys think about the, uh, But what we talked about in the last segment about, um, you know, should someone that has committed a nonviolent felony um, after X amount of years, should their gun rights be restored? And to what degree? I mean, should they just be able to purchase or should they be able to apply for concealed carry? Uh, There's a lot of things that go on. Should they be able to be a peace officer if they want to? Should they be able to? You know, there's all kinds of things that that felonious behavior prevents you from doing either through licensing or law. Uh, there's a lot of that out there involved. so um so I'd like to to hear uh, a little bit more about what you guys think. You certainly know uh, what we think, and and we think in this particular gentleman's uh, case that the answer would be, I would have no problem with it. and I you think know, Eugene, you know or Deborah, I guess with few exceptions, you'd have to really look into his background and see you know what the deal is to make the absolute decision. But as a generality, I think we're fine with it. Um so let's talk about uh, let's talk about school safety. Um, and this has been a Kali, This has just been going on. Uh, we had two two big hits this year, you know our neighbors in santa fe uh to the south uh recently and uh you know parkland Florida earlier in the year um, i 've talked about it a lot on the show and i 've talked about you know what we can do uh and and sort of you know how we can make our kids safer uh in the schools now Deborah you and i uh chit chatted a, a little bit in just sort of a uh you know um kind of kicking this around and one of the things that that always comes up um that you and i touched on uh was taking retired police officers and or uh retired service members and putting them in schools so uh again i'm going to give you the pen and the piece of paper and and you can make the law you can make the policy so you hear people say that well let's expand on it a little bit i mean how would that work in in your in your mind
1: well, right now, I know that the Pearland School, school District has a hired security guard not, not carrying a gun on them. They have all the other access doors open to the school besides the main door. So, it would do no good to put ex-military or ex... Uh, peace officers in there unless they lock all the doors and make everyone come through one entry and you and I were talking beforehand yes I think I personally think it would be a great idea but they need to go through special training also because of all the young children in the school and like you said Tony they would be a lot of noise and just not out in the open field but I agree with that we're I feel like we're killing two birds with one stone. We're getting the school a little bit protected because it might cause someone not to want to come shoot up the school if they knew there was someone standing right there that would shoot back at them immediately.
0: Yeah, that, that's true. And, and I'll say just as devil's advocate for a second that um, uh, there have been a few cases that um, didn't really make the news because it doesn't fall into the emotional narrative that the news likes to go wall to wall with. But um, uh, I think it was in Indiana, there was a school resource officer that uh, shot back and, and prevented a a school shooting. And, you know, when that happens, that doesn't really get good attention because it's not a big story. You know, it's not. And big it and, should get. Attention. No, it, it should. Absolutely. It should absolutely get. it. Eugene, you know, where do you fall on uh, ex-military, ex-police, with some training involved, being in the schools, what do you think about that? You think that's a good thing? Uh,
2: I think, in general, uh, or in theory, it's a good idea. Uh, I think to execute that uh, is pretty difficult. Um, why I say that? Because actually, it's already the case now. Uh, you in cer- certain uh, ISD police departments, you already have retired. Uh, police officers serving uh they might be former military i'm I'm not sure if they would only be former military Mm -hmm. i think they have to be have to have prior law enforcement experience you already have this case um i've spoken to friends who are in law enforcement and who are familiar um with how the school police departments work and uh Honestly, the opinion seems to be that when you have retired officers, uh, they just cannot perform the way that they should because of, of age. And it's. Uh, I, I think it's a, an unmeasured uh, variable. So I, it's not to say that just having a person there who has some experience with uh, law enforcement and with active shooter scenarios is not going to stop uh, a an act, active shooter, or is not going to reduce the, the amount of casualties. But, um, it, 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 you know, maybe it's going to be one of those many little things that you have to stack on top of each other mm-hmm. to, to get uh, less death, less casualty, um, maybe even just less occurrence. Um, but, Eugene, are they authorized to carry a gun on the campuses, though? Well, what I'm referring to are the actual ISD police departments. So, so they, they are they are uh, police departments. Um, mm-hmm. I think by law, and they right. are armed. And okay, as good. I understand it, um, many are former officers that served in their local police departments. So mm-hmm. they have had the training uh, for for what it's worth. Um, and
0: yeah, I yeah. think Eugene probably one of the examples that you're mentioning is uh, is HISD. Um, they have their own police department, and they are their own entity. And their jurisdiction is school campuses. So, um, if there were two 18-year-old students that got in a fist fight at school, HASD police would come, like Pearland police or Webster police, or you know whatever jurisdiction we're in, mm-hmm. and they would, you know, they would handle uh, an event like that. Now, Pearland does not have. Um, uh, a, a Paraland Police Department. I believe they use school resource officers that are, um, they are Paraland Police officers, but they are assigned to the school. Now, uh, it's my understanding that they do not have an officer in every school, but they have officers from school to school to school. So
1: Yes, but they're going to, they had them, of course, as soon as Santa Fe happened, they mm-hmm. start having an officer.
0: Yeah, and I think that needs to be the case. And, and they're and,
1: supposed to do it through the, through the end of next uh, 2019 school year.
0: Well, they should do it through the end of forever. Yeah, I mean, every school I agree. district. Because, I, I, you know, Eugene, I I agree with you 100%. I, I don't think that you can just flop people in there, you know, for the sake of a label and say, okay, well, you're in the Army, or you were in the Marines, or you're in the Air Force, whatever. Go in there, here's a gun, don't let anybody get shot. No, probably not a good idea. Retired police officer, because, uh, you know, Deborah, what you were talking about that, that we touched on earlier was, that um, defending a school from an active shooter and, and you know, when Deborah and I were talking, um, I said, you know, if, if you can imagine any any of us, uh, any of us here in the studio or, or any of you listening out there, if you can imagine you are that person in that school with an active shooter and you have a gun on your hip, there's kids screaming. I mean, kids are going to go nuts when this stuff starts to happen. Can you imagine the level of panic on a child's face? what they're thinking about it 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 it, i mean it's hurtful to even think about the level of anxiety that they have to feel and the level of panic that they have to have and then you've got teachers but teachers aren't necessarily trained uh you know which is something we're going to get to in just a second but but we you know with all this stuff going on and and people running around i mean that's got to be crazy so so there does indeed need to be uh specific training for active shooters and specifically for schools because police officers most of the time that they have to use their weapon, it's going to be outside. You know, it's going to be approaching a vehicle or, you know, clearing a building. That's a burglary, or it's going to be a home invasion type thing or domestic violence. That's where most of these shootings are going to occur. So it's outside. It's in an open environment most of the time. And it's one-on-one. Now I'm not trying to take away anything from our police officers and our military, because these guys are the best among us. And, uh, and and I have absolute respect for that. But what I will say is that um JJ Watt is a great football player. I wouldn't put an Astros uniform on him and expect him to perform. He's gonna need a little bit of training. True. So I mean it, it's it's just that. But Eugene, that's a that's that's a good point. That's a very valid point that, that yeah, we need it. And it is I think I would agree with you further that it is which it should be a part of a larger solution. I think so many times people go, well, only if we had metal detectors. Well, if there was only one way in. Well, if we had a school resource officer. Well, if teachers carried. You know, all those are, are good ideas, but I think just one of those ideas is uh, is not the solution. I think the other thing that people uh, don't understand, and, and this is just from me, that um, I think it's going to be – I think you can, you can mitigate the occurrence of, of school shootings. I think it's going to be almost impossible to stop. And I say that because I think that with the, uh, with the news coverage that we get, I mean, you think about, good Lord, how long was Parkland, Florida, uh, Florida um, on the news? 24 hours a day for a long, long, long time. There were marches, there were protests, there were kids going to Washington, there were, you know, there were parents, there was this David Hogg knucklehead dude that was going all over the place running his mouth about, you know, take away all the guns and all this other kind of crap, stuff that had nothing to do with the actions of one individual. But there was just this this on and on and on and on thing. And I think that when that happens and then the news wants to take this, this further personal angle, about the the shooter they sort of not turn the shooter into the victim but the focus becomes the criminal the focus becomes the actor so let's talk about this guy and and you know how he was bullied or how this happened or or, or whatever you know and then other kids see that because it's on all the time and people mm-hmm. are talking about it and then they go damn that's me too everybody knows this guy's name yeah i'll show these people i'm gonna yeah, i'm gonna do that same thing so I, I promise you, I promise you that somebody right now, as we're speaking, is thinking about doing it. Now I don't know that they're gonna act on it or not, but I guarantee you there's some kid out there somewhere that's sort of contemplating, you know, and granted it's it's summer, school's not even right now. So but uh but I mean there there's there's some people out there that are that have that have bad intentions um so uh we're i don't want to get too involved in the in the next subject we're coming up on a break here in about a minute or so but um uh eugene what do you think in addition to um uh in in addition to you know what we already talked about doing in the school as a as a one layer of protection what else do you think should be added I mean, what what else could we do
2: well um i think You both have echoed each other on one point, which is training, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think uh, is the most important factor. Uh, It's more important than who is armed uh, or adding more armed people. Um, I think training is the most important part. I think it's very difficult because it involves money. Uh, It it, does involve Figuring out who is going to get the trade exactly,
0: uh, Eugene. Let me let me get you to to hold that thought right now. Uh, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be back in just a few minutes, but we'll let Eugene finish his thought. Uh, stay with us. We're talking school safety here. At Bullet points on vinyl draft radio. Welcome back. Bullet points, second amendment talk and more here on Vinyl Draft Radio. Uh, Eugene, right before the break, right before I, I had to cut you off because I wasn't watching the clock. <laughs> no worries. Uh, hey, we were talking about, um, you know, touching on school safety. And, uh, you know, Eugene had mentioned that um, that training was uh, was really paramount in one of the many layers of uh, of school safety and solutions that might be available for us. So, um, and I agree with you 100% that uh, that training is important.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I think um, it's not to say that systems, uh, the government, school systems, police departments can't change, but I think on an individual level, um, you can't rely on the system. So training your kids is probably the first step and it's really the only thing that you have control of. So you educate your kids. Uh, if you're a firearm owner, you educate them on proper use or just never uh, come in contact with your firearms in the home. And you train them as much as you can uh, and with whatever ability you have, um, what they should do in these kinds of situations. And, you know, it, it might be a little, it might be a lot, but they need to be informed somehow and they need to be drilled in certain ways. And you need to give yourself and your kids some level of confidence that they're going to act in some way. Um, because when it comes down to it, an active shooter situation, uh, you you can hope that the teachers are going to, to do something to protect your kids. You're going to hope that the other kids are doing something or that the whoever the other adults are that are there are going to do something to protect your kids but the only one that you can be sure of is that's going to do something is your own kid right so i think it's it starts there training your kids educating your kids and once you go up to the next level then it's the system it's training teachers it's training administration it's training all the kids uh uh in the group as a school as a classroom Uh, It's training the school resources officers. It's training the ISD department. It's training the local police department. Uh, It's all the, you know, it's just spreading information. Mm -hmm. And after that, then it's adding more stuff. Yeah. Uh, Schools are not designed to be safe uh, from active shooters. They're designed to be traps. I mean, they're, you know, as a byproduct of, of school design, they're traps. So you you change stuff. You add stuff. You add uh, bullet-resistant windows. You add more security locks and electronic card readers, things like that. Add more people. Add more school resource officers or better trained school resource officers. Have more cooperation between ISD police and local police. Um, It's all stuff at the system level. Um, And I but I think it it just starts with what can you do at home, what can you do with your own kids,
0: right, Deborah? You know you're uh, you're a grandmother, and so do you do you talk to your to your grandchildren, or do do their parents talk to them about um, what to do in an active shooter situation, or how to how to behave around firearms? Is that a discussion that you have? Um, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Oh but no, just...
1: no, no. My oldest grandson, who's ten, he does know "do not touch it" because I have. Pulled it out of my safe and taken it with us to like the mall at Christmas. He knows don't touch it. He now he, I got him a BB gun about two years ago and he knows he has to unload the BBs. Even he he would be the one that could handle it. The six year old oh no that's why it's locked up because she is just she doesn't listen and she's gonna want to see how it works. But yes, we have talked about when things happen, and, and I feel like my grandson would be the one that would start telling everybody. Even though if it was, if he was at home with my daughter and I, he would freak out. Nah, you know. but, right.
0: Yes, and no, I, I, that, that's what you want. Um, I think where where some parents slip a little bit is, um, uh, you know, I, I've always said that whether or not you are pro gun or anti gun, whether or not you have guns in the house even if you hate guns, you should still teach your kids about gun safety, about gun handling, um, and about active shooter situations because the reality is if they never left your house and you never told them about gun safety, they'd probably be okay because they're not going to encounter one. But the bottom line is they're going to start going to friends' houses. They're going to they're gonna hang out with other people. They're going to make it into cows. You know, as parents, as grandparents, as brothers, sisters, uncles, mothers, fathers, you know, we talk to our family, or we should be talking to our family. We you know, talk to the kids about sex. We talk to the kids about drugs. We talk to the kids about driving. We talk to the kids about the importance of education. But so often, I think families leave out the gun education part, and it's not, hey, Billy, sit down. I want to tell you something. Stay away from guns. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Good talk. See ya. No. No, it's got to be continuous. You, you evolve. You said that the, you know, the six-year-old was not – was probably not ready for that yet, you know, probably probably wasn't there yet. And I think that you, and I don't mean you specifically, but I mean I think as as parents, as grandparents, um, uh, as keepers of our families, that we uh, we start to have that conversation with them anyway. And as the child develops, then the conversation develops. The conversation expands. right? And then you start to gain more confidence in them. You know, I have a 6-year-old son at home. I have a 13-year-old daughter. And a 14-year-old daughter, 13- to 14-year-old, they both shoot. Um, they shoot AR-15s. My 13-year-old daughter um, recently shot a fully automatic, no kidding, real machine gun. Good took for it, you, because I'm going to take and,
1: Adrian and let him learn how to shoot next year.
0: There you go. And, uh, you know, I have a friend that started with a—they um, uh, make the uh, CO2 pistols mm-hmm. uh, that shoot BBs, but they are nearly the same size. They're identical copies of— of some real life guns and a friend of mine, she wanted to teach her, I think her son was five or six. So she bought him a holster and the fake gun didn't load it, but taught him how to carry it, taught him range etiquette, where to point it, how to pull it out, how to, and they slowly moved into, okay, we're going to put some BBs in there. Okay. We're going to teach you to shoot it. We're going to teach you to load it. We're going to teach you to unload it. So that was sort of an ongoing process. And over a period of about 12 to 14 months, you know, he now gets to where he can pull the gun up and shoot it. He knows how to holster it. They make him put it in a case. They make him store it properly in the vehicle when he comes home. They make him put it up in the safe. And he knows that's that's, that's the deal. And I think that's great. I think that's great, That's too. fantastic. And, again, every child is different. And, you know, some parents, I get it, you might like guns, you might hate guns. You may not want your kids anywhere near guns, but that doesn't mean guns are going away. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't want my kids drinking, but I'm going to talk to them about it we're going to have that conversation. I don't want my kids doing drugs, but that's a conversation that I'm going to have with them. You know, I'm going to talk to them about all these things because they're, they're all important. And I think, uh, you know, I think educating our children, I think we all here agree, um, that education is, is absolute paramount. It needs to be, it needs to be ongoing. It needs to be ongoing. It needs to be continuous. In my opinion, I don't think, like I said, I don't think one conversation, uh, is good enough. Um,
1: well, you and I had talked over the phone the other day about how we feel like that maybe the schools should intertwine that, like they used to have the DARE officers, and my daughter says, well, that didn't do much good. But, you know, it's different between drugs and guns, in my opinion, and I kind of think they should start at elementary school and just little tidbits.
0: Uh, yeah, I know that we agree. Eugene, what do you think about that? You think about moving um, ed- gun education into schools as maybe a part of the day-to-day curriculum. What's what's your opinion there? Uh, I'm
2: not sure, Uh, to be honest. um, I'm a gun owner. Um, I do not educate my daughter on the use of my firearms. Um, I have pretty strict rules in the house about access, um, where I basically don't have access to my firearms for home defense. Uh, The trade-off is that I know for certain that my daughter is not going to get her hands on it, whether uh, deliberately or accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think uh, educating kids on the use of firearms is important if they are going to use firearms.
0: Right. Well, let me, let me be clear. I'm not talking about the, the school educating children on the use of firearms, but just on firearm safety. Um, firearm safety, you know, to stay away from it, to to watch out for it. If you see a loaded gun, go get an adult. You know that type kind of an Eddie Eagle program, sort of like the NRA offers.
2: Yeah, I I don't think that would hurt. Um, I think in the school context, um, it's y- y- you're 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 already just teaching them about what it means when a person comes to the school with a firearm, mm-hmm. right? So, in in a way, we we could teach our kids a little bit about range safety, yeah. but that doesn't matter anymore in the school because what you're trying to teach them is how to react, how to think when they see just a school, uh, a gun in the school. So, um, you know, general information about how firearms work and the dangers of them. Yeah, I don't think it hurts, but I think you can just go straight to the point of teaching them, um, okay, well, this is a gun. Uh, This is what different types of guns look like. And this is... uh, this is, this is how what it looks like right. when people go in the school sure, with guns. Sure. This is what you should expect that person to exactly, be doing.
0: Exactly. Well, guys, I listen, I appreciate the both of you coming in, taking time out of your day and being with us um, here on Bullet Points. we got to wrap it up. That's it. Uh, until next Tuesday. Now, next Tuesday, 3 p.m., we're going to have the folks from the arms room, so you guys are going to want to join us for that. They will be here uh, live in the studio with us. Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. You guys be armed, be smart, and be safe.